Well, hey, good morning, Be Free. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, go ahead, open them up to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. This is one of the shortest passages we've probably ever looked at together as a church on a Sunday morning. 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. And let's just get our bearings real quick. Peter is writing to the church, a community of people who are aligned with and built upon Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. That's what we saw last week. And because we are aligned with and built upon him, we are made into, it said last week, a spiritual house, meaning we are united. United as one church family, universally, throughout time and space. And we are united as the family of God in affection and love for one another inside the community of Christ, inside the church, but then we're also united on mission outside of the church. Actually, that's specifically what we saw at the end of the passage last week when we read this, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is what we do together. We bear witness to Jesus Christ. Now this week, in these two verses, verse 11 and 12, we're still looking outward. We might actually say that this passage today, it it puts Christians into a witness protection program because Peter's goal here is to help protect our witnesses. Peter's goal in this passage is to remind us that as we live, we represent Jesus Christ and that the way we live will influence the way that people see and respond to Jesus Christ. Now, I do want to say here, right at the beginning of this passage, Peter is speaking specifically to Christians. So this passage will address more specifically people who do call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. And I acknowledge that there, there's probably people, I know there are people watching that don't call themselves Christians who aren't followers of Jesus Christ. And I want to say two things to you. Number one, uh, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm just going to put my cards on the table and say, I, I pray that you would be the follower of Jesus Christ. It is my uh, not-so-hidden agenda to tell you of the goodness and the glory and the sweetness found in Jesus Christ alone. So my prayer is that you would become a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to be honest about that up front. But I also want to say, I don't think that this, ma- this passage is going to be a waste of time for you. I do believe and pray that you will benefit from this passage, whether you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ or not. And you're welcome to be with us. Thank you for joining us as well. So let me read this passage. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. And then I'll pray. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's pause for a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, though these passages are short, uh, we believe that they're from you. You've inspired them. Uh, you, you moved through Peter to write them and to record them. 
Um, and Father, we read them expectantly, waiting for you to teach us what you want to teach us through them. So Lord, show us what you want here. Father, if I say anything out of line and untrue, I pray that it would not stick in our minds and our hearts. But rather, I pray, Lord, that anything here that needs to be heard, needs to be received, anything that we need to be convicted of, challenged in, urged in, I pray that you would do it through these words, Father, and use me as your tool, as your instrument to do that now, Father. And, you know, I pray uh, that the benefit that I've received from being in this passage this week would be a benefit to this church family as well, Lord. I want them to know the joy that I found in your word. So, Lord, uh, show us what you will in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 through 12. Need you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I'm going to read this passage again. It's short. So might as well. But as I read it again, what I want you to do is not just hear what it says, but feel this passage. Don't just hear the words, feel the weight of the words. Here we go. Peter writes, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, you may, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. It's a strong tone, isn't it? We can feel this passage. And as any kid can tell you, tone is important, right? There's a big difference between your mom yelling to you if you're a kid, Hey, come here. And, Hey, come here. <laughs> Tone has meaning, and we can feel that meaning when we feel and hear and receive that tone. Tone communicates quite a bit. And so when I hear this passage and I hear Peter's tone, my ears perk up. He says, beloved, I urge you. <laughs> How do those words feel? Beloved, I, I urge you. For me, when I hear those words, uh, the word that comes to mind is desperation. Or maybe just uh, using the word used here, uh, urgency. <laughs> There's a desperation and an urgency to what Peter is trying to say to these Christians here in, these passage, in this passage. He's, he's speaking in love, right? He's saying, beloved. But he's also speaking with force. Beloved, I, I urge you. And so the tone alone tells me that what we're about to read is important, right? And actually, as we move on through this book, what we're going to recognize is that this, these two verses, they actually set the stage for the next 46 verses to come. These two verses actually lay down a precedent upon which Peter is going to keep teaching and keep urging and keep instructing throughout the next couple uh, chapters of this letter. And so the question then is, what is Peter so desperate for these Christians to hear? <laughs> What is he so desperate to urge upon them? Well, let's read verse 11 again. He says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. What he's telling them is to refrain from their sin, to run from their sin, to run from their sin here called passions. Why? Well, because your sin wages war against your soul. That is, that is vivid language, right? Because your sin, it does damage to your new identity in Christ. 
Because your sin rips at your relationship with God. Because your sin, it undermines the unity that you share with the brotherhood. We are meant to run from sin because sin will destroy us. That's the message that, that Peter's trying to get across here in this first verse. And the thing is, we can all think of Christians that have experienced this. Christians that have embraced different kinds of sin in their life and who have watched the sin in their life ravish their devotion in their worship and their communion with Christ and his church. Sin wages war against our soul, and Peter wants us to see that. But can I be honest for a second? I'm a little confused. I'm confused about why all the buildup here about not sinning because actually the the idea of fighting for holiness and running from sin has been a repeated theme throughout the book of first peter there's nothing new here in fact he's said something like this a number of times before chapter 1 verse 15 he already said but as he who called you is holy you also be holy in all your conduct right it's the same theme just repeated here again even at the beginning of this chapter chapter 2 verse 1 he says put away all malice all deceit and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. So, you know, I don't want to say that fighting for holiness is unimportant. It's radically important. But I just want to wonder, I'm just wondering, Peter, why all the buildup here? Because there's nothing new in this charge that you're giving us. You've said it before, and you're going to say it again. We need to live holy, not, holy lives. But there actually is something new in this passage. What's new in this passage isn't the charge, but it's a couple words that come right before the charge to live holy lives. And those words are these, as sojourners and exiles. As sojourners and exiles. Those words are so <laughs> important. Let me just read verse 11 one more time. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, is speaking to their identity, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. So a sojourner and an exile, they are citizens of one land who are in another land. Sojourners might be there uh, by choice. Exiles might, exiles might be forced there. But the thing that they have in common is that they are citizens of one land in another land. And the thing is, we really have no reason to think that the original readers of this letter were uh, political exiles or uh, were away from their homeland. Uh, the history of this passage, we have no reason to assume that. So rather, I think it's safe for us to assume that what Peter is trying to say with these two words, sojourners and exiles, is the same thing that actually Paul was trying to say in a couple of his letters. Because in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul says that our citizenship is in heaven. He says something similar in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 and 20, when he says this, You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Does that sound familiar? I think when Paul, or rather Peter here, is speaking, he is saying to these persecuted Christians who are living in what is now modern-day Turkey, your true home 
your true residence, your true citizenship, your true loyalty is not on this earth. You are sojourners here. You are aliens here. You are strangers here. You are exiles here because your true citizenship is in heaven. You are members of the household of God and you are merely passing through. <laughs> and actually, this isn't that hard for us to understand because this is true of us as well. It's just as true of Christians today as it was for Christians in the first century. We are citizens of New Hampshire, citizens of the United States. And we have all the rights and the responsibilities of, as citizens of the United States. But at the same time, we can say with Paul and with Peter that our true citizenship is in heaven if we are followers of Jesus Christ. That we are sojourners and exiles here on earth, as Peter says. That we are strangers and aliens here, as, as Paul says in his passage. That our true citizenship is in the kingdom of God. That that is our true home. That Christ is our true king. That we submit to him, ultimately. That his is the final word. All that's true. But the thing that I think that we have to recognize is that we are also citizens of our earthly kingdom. Yes, we are citizens of heaven. But simultaneously, at the exact same time, we are citizens of these earthly kingdoms, the, the kingdom or the country of the United States. We can say, and we should say, and we must say, that we as Christians hold a dual citizenship. Now, I just, I want to pause here for a minute because I think it's really important for us to stop and consider what that means. We have to recognize that it is really hard to be a citizen of two kingdoms at the same time, especially when one kingdom says one thing and another kingdom says another thing. And it could be tempting for us to look at our citizenship in heaven and take that as an excuse to spit in the eye of earthly leaders. But the thing is, be free, I want to say as clearly as possible, that is not an option here in this passage and specifically in the passage to follow. You see, because in verses 13 through 17, Peter focuses his attention explicitly on the relationship between us as citizens of heaven and our earthly leaders, us in this earthly kingdom. And be free, I think that that topic of how we live in the two kingdoms, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdoms that we, that we call our home on earth is especially important right now in this time of the coronavirus. This is, is a conversation that we need to have. Because when we look around the world, even just around the Christian world what, right now, what we recognize is that many are responding to government regulations one way, and many are responding to government regulations in a radically different way. And so we need to come to scripture. We're not defined by red and blue, black and white, or sorry, uh, left or right. Rather, we are, we are led, we are, we, are, we are sent, we are steered by the word of God and what the word of God has to say to us about this.
So next week, we're going to look at verses 13 through 17 and spend a lot more time in this question. We're going to think together about what it looks like for us to live as citizens of two kingdoms right now. How do we obey and honor our heavenly king? And at the exact same time, obey and honor the people that he has put over us. It deserves more time than we can give it here. But we must seek an answer to that question. We must seek to honor God by the way we honor our leaders. But jumping back now into the passage we're in today, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 12, what we're seeing is that the way that we live here and now matters, okay? The way we live on this earth matters. First, like we, what we saw a minute ago, it matters for the good of our own souls. <laughs> our sin wages war against our soul. But, but here, as we move on to verse 12, we see another reason why it matters, uh, why the way we live here on earth matters. So let me read verse, verse 12 again. Please, please follow along. Peter writes, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. I'll read it again. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So in verse 11, it's saying, first, fight against your sin for your own good, or we might say, to protect yourself. But here in this, in this verse, this second reason, is we need to fight against sin and to fight for holiness, not just to protect ourselves and to protect our souls, but to protect our witness. This is a witness protection program. We want to make sure not only that our souls are safe and are protected, but also that our witness is protected. So let me just read this verse again. Verse 12, I'm going to read it really slowly. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Why? Well, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, in other words, when they slander you or when they tear you down or when they attack you with their words, they may take a second look. And upon further investigation, see your good deeds. See your righteous life. See your generosity. See your selflessness. See the way you treat your po the poor. See the way you treat your family. See the way we treat one another. See our love. See our patience with people who are frustrating. See the way we use our money. See our good deeds. And as a result... Glorify God. Praise Him on the day of His visitation. In other words, when He comes again to gather His church. Do you see what that's saying? What it's telling us is that our lives are the strongest testimony to the goodness and the truth of God. A follower of Jesus Christ calls himself or herself a Christian, right? A Christian, or maybe a little Christ. <laughs> and that's because it's him that we follow, right? It's him that we imitate. It's him we proclaim. It's him that we represent. And so when we go to the grocery store, we go as a Christian. 
Christian, the little Christ. When we go to the post office, we go representing him. You're not just representing ourselves, we're representing Jesus Christ, our master, the one we claim to serve. The one whom we claim has changed us. When we cheer for our kids at their soccer games, the words we cheer and the way we cheer uh, uh, comes across as an emissary, emissary of the kingdom of God. The way we respond to somebody wearing a mask represents Christ. The way we respond to somebody not wearing a mask represents Christ. The way we respond to somebody who asks us to wear a mask represents Christ. And the way that we speak about somebody who has asked us to wear a mask, it represents Christ. Our actions, be free, big or small, public or private, represent Christ to a world that is watching. And Peter is saying that here. The way you live reflects upon your king. The way I live on this earth will show my neighbor what he is like. The world is watching, so the question is, what will they see? When my friend who doesn't believe clicks on my Facebook, what will my posts tell them about Jesus Christ? What will my life tell them about who Jesus is? Because by living a holy and honorable life, I am proving the goodness and the power of God. But by living in a dishonorable, evil, wicked way, I am showing the world that Jesus is not all that he's cracked up to be. I am destroying Jesus' reputation. And the question that I need to be asking as I walk out my front door, and all of us need to be asking as we go through this crisis and through the rest of our days, is this, what does your life tell the world about Jesus Christ? Does it prove or destroy your witness? Are your words, your deeds, your attitude, even your tone, a testimony to the power and the goodness of God? Or are they proof to a watching world that Christianity isn't actually all it's cracked up to be? I said it a moment ago, I will say it again. Our lives, our testimonies to whether what we say about Jesus is true. And so here, Peter boldly and lovingly urges the Christians, because of this, abstain from the passions of the flesh. Keep your conduct among Gentiles honorable. And I want to say to you boldly, and lovingly be free. Beloved, I urge you, abstain from the passions of the flesh. Keep your conduct among a watching world honorable. Why? Well, because the world is watching. The world is watching. And yes, absolutely, we need to tell them with our words of the transforming power of the gospel. 
Absolutely, we need to tell them with our words of the hope that is ours by faith in Jesus Christ. But then once we tell them, be free, we need to show them. We need to show them that what we say is true, not contradicted. Now, I think that if the sermon stopped here, I'd be doing you a massive disservice. Because I just took a pretty massive burden and dropped it onto your shoulders. The burden of representing the kingdom of God in the way that we live can be crushing. And to a degree, it should feel very crushing. It's a heavy burden. But I would be doing you a massive disservice if at this point I didn't remind you of the full picture here. If at this point I didn't help you remember the same thing I need to remember when I feel the weight of that burden. What I need to remember and what we all need to remember is that we are not alone in this fight for holiness. Now we're not alone as we fight to represent Christ to the world. We don't do this on our own because we are first new creations. We have, the power, we have uh, Jesus Christ working inside of us who has transformed our heart and who is continuing to transform his, our hearts by his power. We have the power of the living God dwelling within us, the power of the Holy Spirit. And not just that, but we have the body of Christ, the church, standing beside us as we all work together to live in a way that honors and glorifies God. Yes, be free. The world is watching. The world is looking at us to see if what we say about God is actually true. If the power to transform is actually true. If the sweetness he promises is actually savory to us. And so by the promise of Christ working in you, by the power of the Holy Spirit working through you, and by the presence of the church standing beside you, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We are living in a, in a dark time right now. There's a lot of fear and anger and angst and anxiety. But it's in these darkest times that we have the greatest opportunity to shine the light of the world, Jesus Christ, into the darkness. And the way we live will shine that light. So be free out of a desire for the world to know Jesus Christ, let's show them Jesus Christ. Let's show them that the gospel we proclaim is indeed true, is indeed powerful. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I need this message this week. I think back over this week to sinful ways I've spoken to my wife, um, ways that I've had the opportunity to do right and avoided them, ways I pushed, uh, pulled against people in the community, even subtle. And I feel deeply, Lord, the conviction that I could have done a better job representing you this week. But Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. 
And thank you that I have a second try and a third and a fourth and a fifth. And thank you, Lord, that I have the promise of Jesus, the power of the Spirit, and the presence of the church helping me along this path. And Lord, I pray that we, as the church, unified by the power of Jesus Christ, would shine your light into the darkness. Father, use us for the purpose. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.